Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We're in Genesis chapter 3 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, and uh, we read through it um, earlier here before the, before the worship service, but uh, as I've mentioned as we got into our study in Genesis, Genesis is really the book of beginnings, and that's pretty much the beginnings of all sorts of stuff. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the beginnings of sin, the origin of sin in this world, and really why the world is the way it is. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you get offended by someone, or you get hurt, or some bad thing happens to you, or you get ill or something, and, and uh, it's like, why is this happening? Well, it's because of what occurred here in chapter 3, and we'll, we'll get into that as we go, go. You know, I was sitting here when we were worshiping, I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, about, I, I, I heard yesterday, and I don't know if it's true, about 40-some-odd thousand people work for Mayo Clinic, is that, does anybody know that's roughly? More than that. How much, how many? Almost 60,000 people work for Mayo Clinic. Did you know that if it wasn't for Genesis chapter 3, you would all be unemployed? Seriously. Well, just think about it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Not that you're thankful for what happened in Genesis chapter 3, but, uh, but it, it, the reality is the way the world is, the sickness, the death, and all the things, it's because of what we read here in Genesis chapter 3. So this is really a pivotal chapter for us. Uh, you know, Peter... In his letter, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's out there trying to devour people. And 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Paul tells the believers that he's writing to, he says, We're not ignorant of his devices, of his schemes. The context in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is forgiving a repentant brother or sister in the Lord. But the important point for us today, and the point that I hopefully we can understand today, is don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. You know, Satan, he's not a very creative person. He uses the same playbook today that he used in the Garden of Eden, what we're going to read this morning. It's the same temptation. It's the same method. It's the same, it's the same playbook. And, and, uh, and so uh, today we're going to be looking at how sin entered the world and learning and hopefully being rem- or being reminded of, how, of Satan's devices. And, and maybe we can apply that in our own lives this morning. And so beginning there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts, any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that jumps out to me is, here's Eve having a conversation with an animal, a snake in this case, a serpent. Um, and you've got to wonder, is, was that like a, maybe a pre-sin phenomena that maybe all the animals, it was like Narnia, you know, they're all talking there. I, I, I don't know. Um, or maybe this was a one-off situation like Balaam's donkey. Remember Balaam's donkey was talking, and Balaam, in his anger, he starts arguing with the donkey. You know, it's like, wait a minute. I, wouldn't, I mean, it's like, wait. Like you had your dog all of a sudden talking to you. I know son of Sam, his dog talked to him, but not that, that was a different thing. But, um, you know, a one-off situation, you know, Balaam's donkey talking to him. Maybe Eve had nothing to compare, and so she didn't, like, 
freak out or anything. It's like, well, but or maybe that's just the way it was prior to sin. But it just struck me it's like she's having, he's, she's having a conversation with the serpent. And what about the serpent? We're told here that it was more cunning than any other beast of the field. Now it doesn't mean that the snakes were evil, you know, and stuff, but. Uh, it's probably more than, or in fact, I'm sure it was, possessed by Satan. Satan, it was the vehicle that Satan used to confront Eve and to tempt Eve. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, we don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us, but um, it's quite possible that the snakes or the serpent was, an, was stood upright. Uh, or there's, uh, you know, you base it on the curse in verse 14 where it says, you know, from now on, on your belly you'll go. Well, what was it before that? And so some people say, well, maybe the serpent actually was able to stand up upright and convey itself. Some even suggest that uh, the serpent could fly prior to the curse. And the reason why is there's a verse in Isaiah 14, verse 29, it talks about the fiery flying serpent. Now, I don't know if you have a fear of snakes or snot. Or snot. Snakes or not. <laughs> I have a fear of snot, but no. Um, if you have a... <laughs> ah! No, <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, if you have a fear of snakes, you know, can you imagine if it was a flying snake? I mean, that'd be like, whoa, <laughs> double weird. But what was God's command to Eve? In Adam and Eve, it's in second, it's in chapter two, but it was basically one command. And you know, with the Lord, He gave them freedom. He says, "You can eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees in the Garden of Eden. Just have at it, enjoy it. It's for you, except this one tree. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or, or it's literally translating, in dying you will die. Um, and what does Satan get do? He gets Eve to focus on the one prohibition. She had all the freedom to eat of anything. And, and Satan's like, what about this one tree? And, uh, and so he gets her to focus on the one prohibition and uh, the warning from the day the, from the Lord, for in the day, it's in verse 16 and, and 17 of chapter 2, but for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, in other words, it'll kill you. It's not like God says, if you eat it, I'm going to kill you. No, sin will kill you because sin kills, sin destroys. And uh, so what was the temptation here? It starts out with one of Satan's devices is getting the believer to question the word of God. And he says right here, did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And you know, Satan hasn't changed that playbook. It's the same thing today. Does the Bible, does God really mean what he says in his word? Can you really take the Bible literally? That's one of the devices of, of the enemy. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, what was good? You know, there's some good and there's some bad in, in Eve's response. What was good? The one thing that was good was that she was using God's word to battle the temptation. Remember when Jesus was in the, in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? He didn't respond just, Well, this is what I think. He basically said, This is what Scripture says. And that, that's one good way to battle uh, temptation when Satan tries to trick you. But what was not good? Well, the very first thing we notice, at least it appears from the scriptures, is that she was alone. Where was Adam? 
You know, in Hebrews 10, verse 25, it talks about you and I as believers not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another um, and so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord, the rapture of the church. You know, as you see that day approaching, man, that we should be that much more gathering together, encouraging one another, you know, being there for one another. Sometimes... All it takes for us when we're being tempted is to have another brother or sister in the Lord next to us saying, you know, what are you doing? You know, someone there to be with us. Because when you're isolated, you remember the, the uh, Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom? You know, they'd show the, 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 the leopard chasing after a flock of, of antelope or whatever, you know, out in, the, out in the boondock somewhere. And it was always, they always would kind of like, they'd get the last, the one that was lagging behind by itself. Satan does the same thing. If, if you isolate yourself from fellowship, man, you're a prime target for the enemy. So that's why it's so important to be involved with one another as brothers and sisters. Um, now, what's interesting in Eve's response, notice when she responds there, she says in verse 2, um, actually in verse, well, verse 2, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But then in verse 3, she says, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Do you notice something that she didn't mention the tree by name? She just said that the tree that's in the middle of the garden. She didn't say the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Did she not know the name of the tree? Um, you know, the Bible says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, when it comes to naming sin, this is just a, just a side note for you guys. Don't let the world define the terms. Don't let the world define the terms. And what I mean by this, let me give you an example. A number of years ago, here in Minnesota, we had that proposition of, regarding same-sex marriage, right? You know, you, you, and it was a vote. We, we, it was a referendum. Everybody was voting on it. And, uh, and it, you know, the, rather than saying this is a vote for or against homosexual marriage or for and against same-sex marriage, because, you know, they kind of narrow it down in their terms, you know what the one argument was that I think swayed a lot of people? It was this. Why can't two people who love each other get married? That, that, that's the world reframing. They're, they're giving it the terms. It's just two people that love each other. And yet the Bible says it's homosexual sin. It's homosexuality. It's sexual immorality. It's, it's a sin. So don't let the world define the terms. Now, regarding the fact that Eve didn't name the tree, um, you know, I think everything is significant in this passage of Scripture, especially since it's the first occasion of sin. So why didn't she name the tree? We don't really know. It doesn't tell us. But was it Adam's job to pass that information on to Eve? And maybe if that was the case, maybe he dropped the ball and he didn't explain it well. It's quite possibly. Not that us guys are not, you know, we are good communicators, but maybe we're not the best communicators. I don't know. Then there was another thing in her response. She says there in verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God didn't say that. That wasn't part of God's command. Now, that could be implied. Just stay away from it, you know. But just think about this. She said, We're not to eat of that fruit, nor we are to touch it, lest we die. What would happen... If she did touch the fruit, would she have died? That's not what God said. So 
then if she touched the fruit and she didn't die, was God lying? Now, according to Adam Clark, he's a commentator, he said uh, that uh, some Jewish writers say as soon as Eve said these words that the serpent pushed her against the tree and implying like, look, you touched it and you didn't die. Now, that's not in scripture. Again, that's, that's the Jewish writers are saying that. But it's very interesting that she added that, that you know, that you shouldn't touch it. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that can be a downfall for people. Jesus warned or, or spoke of the disciples, or not the disciples, but the Pharisees. He says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's in Matthew 15, verse 9. And in vain they worship me, as teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. God didn't say that. So she was adding to God's word. We're not to add to God's word. And then she said, lest you die. Now, God was emphatic in his command there in chapter 2. He says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Eve didn't say that. Eve said, lest you die. It seemed like Eve was maybe a little bit unsure of the commander or of the results. Again, if Adam received the command before Eve was created or, or if he was just the one that received the commandment, again, maybe he dropped the ball in communicating it to Eve. But being unsure about God's word, not knowing his word, his commandments is dangerous. Matthew Henry, another commentator, there's a lot of commentators that I know. <laughs> Matthew Henry says this, Satan teaches men first to doubt and then to deny. He makes them skeptics first, and so by degrees makes them atheists. And you know, when I read that comment, I thought, that is so true. I mean, I know of an individual that started out, he seemed to be a brother in the Lord, and and then he became very skeptical of Scripture. Did God really say that? And then pretty soon he was was just skeptical of Jesus was really the Messiah. And the last I heard, he's now a full-fledged atheist. So it's, it's important that we know scriptures, that we know God's words, that we're, un- that we're sure of what God says in his word. And so now, as Eve's responded to Satan, now the devil goes in for the killer in verse 4. It says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Now that's an outright lie. Um, but here is another of Satan's devices, and it's attacking God's character. Satan is calling God a liar. He's saying basically God's word is not true and God can't be trusted. Verse 5, he says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was he communicating to Eve? He's basically communicating that God has ill will towards you. He's withholding good from you. You know, growing up, I grew up in the uh, in a Christian home, and I accepted the Lord around summer of my sixth grade, and and then I got into the kind of the turbulent years in, in uh, you know adolescence, and and uh, and I got into a lot of junk, and I walked away from the Lord off and on, and and uh, and then as I uh, grew up and uh, you know turned eighteen or seventeen, eighteen, whatever, I mean, I was just not walking with the Lord at all, and. Uh, one of the things that always drew me is I had these friends that were, they seemed to have all the fun and I couldn't have the fun. And, and I had that feeling, man, God's withholding from me. I want to experience what these guys are experiencing. Looking back, man, it's like, man, what a lie of the enemy. I wish I'd never gone that direction, but I did because I felt like God was withholding from me. And sometimes 
You feel that that's what Satan will do for you. And it's like, no, God's God's doesn't want you to enjoy life. He, he's, you know, he's forbidding that because he doesn't want you. No, it's for your own good that God does that. Here's another one of Satan's devices, mixing partial truth with a lie. You see, their eyes would be opened to know good and evil, but the lie is they would not like, be like God at all. And... Uh, and then, of course, he didn't mention the terrible ramifications of having their eyes opened in this way. Once they did, it was like, you know, that was it. There's no going back. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, sin is just entered or the temptation she's just entered excuse me the most dangerous phase of the temptation and that is she's no longer looking at it in light of scripture now she's looking at it with her own reasoning she's looking at it and goes wow it's good for food now that would appeal to her body next she said it, it, it was pleasant to the eyes it's visually appealing and then it was desired to make one wise. It appealed to her spirit. It appealed to her spiritual side of herself. And, and so now she's, she's moved away from Scripture. Now she's just using her own reasoning. And that's a dangerous place to be when it comes to temptation. Instead of saying, God has said this, it's like, well, you know, you start thinking and start reasoning. John wrote this in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, you know, it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it was appealing for the eyesight, it was visually appealing, and the pride of life, man, it's going to make me wise like God, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Another thing that I find very interesting, she must have been near the tree, she must have been near that tree in the middle of the garden um, to be able to look at it and look at the fruit and go, wow, yeah, that looks really good and stuff. Um, what was she doing so close to that tree? Why wasn't she just staying clear of it? It's, you know, like what sometimes we do. It's like seeing how close you and I can get to the edge. Of, not that we literally do that, but it's like getting, you know, seeing if I get to the edge of a cliff, if I can get it just right, how close can I get before I fall off? You know, sometimes we do that. It's like, how close can I get to the edge of not sinning? You know, I'm right on that edge, but how close can I get without actually falling? And the problem is, man, it's a slippery slope. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 4, verse 14 and 15. He says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. You know, we are each tempted in different ways. So, I mean, generally we're all tempted in the same way, but there's, you know, it comes out in different forms. And you might be tempted by something that I'm not tempted by, and, and vice versa. I might be tempted by something that you're not tempted by. But if you know what your weakness is, you know where you stumble, why do you always go in that same path? Why don't you stay clear of there? If you know that that's your weakness, you know, if you're an alcoholic, why do you go hang out in a bar? I mean, that's like the stupidest thing you could do if you know that that's your weakness. And so what was Eve doing by the tree? Well, Satan's temptation succeeded. It says there that uh, in verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her, 
and he ate. Matthew Henry says this, Satan tempted Eve that by her he might tempt Adam. So he tempted Job by his wife and Christ by Peter. It is his policy to send temptations by unsuspected hands and theirs that have the most interest in us and influence us. You know, if your own personal convictions, if your own personal understanding of Scripture and, and, and your, your, what you know of Scripture, you know, if, if you're not firm in that yourself personally, it's very easy. It doesn't take much for us to be swayed by even a close friend, maybe even a loved one, a spouse or something. If you're not firm in your own convictions, you need to know what you believe and what, your, what God's commands are yourself. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 2.14. He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. See, Eve was deceived into thinking the tree was good for food and that eating it would make her wise, but she gave it to Adam and he just ate of it, right? Adam wasn't deceived. Adam openly rebelled when he ate of it, There's no deception there. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You know, before I go to that, I want to jump back there to verse 6 about Adam, because in the beginning I said, where was Adam, you know? And, and, And it seemed like Eve was just having this conversation by herself with the serpent. And then we get to verse 6, and it's like she took the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam. Now, does that mean that Adam was gone, and then he came there? Or was Adam there the whole time? It's, it's interesting when you think about it. If Adam was there the whole time, shame on Adam, man, for not, for not saying anything. You know, and, and it's so important, guys, for us to be spiritual leaders in our homes. It's so important. And if that was the case, if Adam was there the whole time and he didn't do anything, man, no wonder why the curse was so much harder for him. And the respons- Because the responsibility lies with the men in the household. I've seen so many households and so many marriages where the guys, they just take a back seat. And the wives, you know, they're the spiritual leads. They're the financial leads. They do everything. The guys are just going for a free ride and stuff. And that's, that's not what God planned for marriage. It's not what God planned uh, for husbands and men to be. So verse 7 says, And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is another first in Genesis. Not just the fact that they clothe themselves, but what's happening underneath the surface here. This is man's first attempt at religion. It's man's first attempt at religion. Religion is man attempting to reach God through his own efforts. They're trying to hide them. They're trying to cover their own nakedness. And Christianity is the only religion where God reaches down to man. All the other religions, man is doing something to reach out to God, but it's just the opposite here in Christianity. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord God here, this was a pre-incarnate. In other words, it was before Jesus was born as a man and lived on the earth. The Son of God, the Lord God, 
he was in fellowship with Adam and Eve. And so he would come down and, and fellowship with them. And they felt naked and ashamed, so they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And this is what sin does. Sin causes a separation from God. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now, does that mean that the Lord God didn't know where Adam and Eve were? Of course, he knew where they were, and he knew what he did. There's a term that we describe to God that he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. He knew where they were. He knew what they had done. And just think about this. If God hadn't called out to Adam, Adam and Eve, they probably would have stayed hidden as long as they could. They would have stayed away from God. I remember when I was in my time of rebellion, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was be around a Christian. The last thing I wanted to do was go to a church or or read my Bible. I was trying to stay as far away from God. And you know what? God came to me. He pursued me and found me. And that's exactly what God was doing here. He was pursuing them, even in their sin. That's, That's the great love of God for us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. He was pursuing them. Verse 10. And so Adam responds. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What a tragic thing. Sin causes shame, and it causes fear. Verse 11, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Again, God knew what they did. But what's happening here is he's giving Adam an opportunity to confess and repent of his sins. What does Adam do instead? He blame shifts. Verse 12. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Can you imagine that? That's his response. It's your fault, God. It's, it's this creature that you gave me, that you made it, you brought her to me. She's the one that, that sinned and caused me to eat. Completely shifting the, brain, the blame on God. In other words, he's saying, if it wasn't for this woman you gave me, I wouldn't even be in this predicament, Lord. It's amazing. And so the Lord God, verse 13, said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, Eve here was honest about what happened. I mean, she's just basically, at this point, she realized she was deceived. And she says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she's being honest about what happened. However, she too is shifting the blame. She learned pretty quick from Adam. Verse 14. And notice that God doesn't turn to the the serpent and says, what have you done? I mean, this is obviously after Satan rebelled and led a a third of the hosts of angels with him. And so he's in rebellion. Uh, He's cursed, basically. And, And so God's not asking him, but God here says this in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between uh, you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So the curse on the serpent, it's got some different parts to it. First of all, degradation. You know, 
from whatever the serpent was before the fall to now it's going to be slithering on the ground, going about as low as you can go. You're going to eat the dust of the ground. I mean, this is as low as you're going to go. Um, and of course, the curse was symbolic regarding the snake. I mean, the snake itself wasn't sinned. You know, it was, it was the serpent, it was the devil that was uh, using the snake. But in reality, this curse, of course, now we know snakes are on the ground. But in reality, this was directed at Satan, who used the form of the serpent to deceive Eve. So the first thing is degradation. The second thing is enmity. Enmity between Satan and the woman, between his seed and her seed. And I'm thinking, well, what is Satan's seed? You know, uh, the only place in Scripture where I could find it is in mentioned in John 8, verse 44. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, and says, You were of the father, excuse me, you were of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. These guys rejected Jesus. They rejected him as Lord and Savior. They rejected him as the Messiah. And ultimately, all those who reject Jesus Christ, they're Satan's offspring. They're they're his seed. The Bible tells us that this world um, and those that live in it, who are ruled, you know, if they're not believers and followers of Jesus Christ, they're being ruled by the God of this world. So that's his seed. Well, what is her seed? Well, it's very interesting because... Women don't have seed. A seed, a woman produces eggs. It's the man who produces the seed. So this woman's seed, it's fascinating because it's prophesying the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman. And so Satan, in this, in this curse, Satan would bruise Jesus' heel, so to speak, when he was crucified on the cross. It'd be a you know it'd be a, it'd be a wound it would be a mortal wound Jesus would die from it, but Jesus would crush Satan's head. He would deliver a death blow to Satan's power and authority when Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day. What's fascinating is God already had the plan of salvation for mankind. The Bible says even before the foundation of the world, God already had a plan and a purpose in 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 saving you and I, knowing that Adam and Eve would sin. And so what's the result of sin in regard to Adam and Eve? Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I can't speak from experience, although you know I was there when my wife gave birth to our children. Uh, there's literally a fulfillment in that, pain and in the act of childbirth, and every woman that's given birth here can, yeah, they can attest to it, right? Literal pain in childbirth. And as far as I know, any other female creature or animal doesn't have the same level of pain in giving birth that the women do. Of course, it's part of this curse, right? But it's not pain not only in the act of childbirth, but pain in raising her children, you know, think about that. As a mother, you know, you, you, you love your children. You, you, you've got that God-given gift of nourishment and cherishing and, and, and just, just being there for your, your innocent little baby. And as you're watching them grow, and, and then they grow and they start, you know, 
living out their own flesh, right? I mean, they start making their own choices and stuff, and then you start realizing he's he's he or she they need they need a savior, you know. And you start watching them do things, and they start breaking your heart sometimes, not always. Praise God if they don't, but sometimes that happens. Parents and, and mothers in particular, I think, have sorrow quite frequently raising children. And you look at the ultimate fulfillment of this was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not that Jesus rebelled or anything, but can you imagine being the mother of Jesus and standing there watching your son being crucified? And he's, he's never committed any sin, and there he's, he's suffering a criminal's death on the cross. Brutal. You know, when we watch that movie, The Passion, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but there's that one scene where, you know, where, where they show, you know, uh, Mary and she's watching and, 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 and Jesus kind of stumbles and stuff. And you could just see the agony in the mother's heart towards her, towards her son. And so, yeah, there'd be pain not only in childbirth, but in raising the children, her children. And he says there'd be a desire or a longing for her husband and yet being ruled over by him. And you look throughout history, and you look at throughout cultures, and women typically, and maybe always, I don't know, but typically they're treated as chattel, you know, as, as, as property, or they're treated less as men. That's, that's part of this curse. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the true tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The very first thing, the, the curse was toil and sweat. Now, when we were here a couple weeks ago talking about before the fall and Adam, you know, he had things that God gave him to occupy with. He wasn't just sitting there in the Garden of Eden looking around like, this is awesome. God said, I want you, there's some things for you to do. But it wasn't toilsome. What are some of the things that Adam was to occupy himself? Well, first of all, he was to tend the garden. But it wasn't gardening like you and I know it, right? Teresa, she loves gardening. I don't care for it all of them. I like f- the produce. I like the fruit. I like looking at pretty flowers and everything. I, I like all. I like the results, but I don't like putting in the work. And so I typically I'll grumble and complain and I'm like oh, I got to do that, you know, and stuff. Why? Because there's weeding, you know. There's just it's just stuff that I don't get a big charge out of doing. But think of it before the fall, man. There's no weeds. You know, everything that you and I maybe associate with gardening today, other than enjoying the produce. That wasn't part of that job that Adam had to do. The other thing that God gave him to do was naming the animals. Think of the outlet of creativity. God said, you can call it anything you want. Just being able to be creative. That's, that's, a, that's a gift from the Lord. And, and so animals, and you know what? He didn't even have to go find it. It's like God didn't say, go out, hike around, find animals, and name them. God brought the animals to Adam to name them. He just sat there, wow, I want to name this a uh, uh, dodo bird. I like that one, the dodo bird, you know, or whatever. Um, and so there was one other thing that Adam had to occupy himself with, and that was walking with God in the cool of the evening, just being in fellowship with the Lord. But now, as a result of sin, work is going to be toilsome. Nothing would come easy. And you and I, we know that, right? 
you work and you work and you work and Uncle Sam takes and Uncle Sam takes and you you know you're just like the prices go up all over you and you work and you work and sometimes work is really hard and so it's not easy anymore. That's a result of the fall. Thorns and thistles. Now they probably you know scripture doesn't tell us, but I, I can't imagine it all of a sudden poof. There's thorns on everything. You know, I don't think it just happened like overnight. But as Adam would now have to till the ground, he would start noticing changes. My, again, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I'm thinking that. He would start noticing changes. First of all, he'd start looking around and go, I've never seen a brown pear before. You know, before they were nice yellow and green. So now it's, brown. It's, it's dying. He'd start seeing dying fruit hanging around leaves falling off and all these things starting to happen fruit starting to rot there would be sweat you know uh, up until now there was this and even probably up until the the flood anyways there was this tropical climate you know worldwide basically but even beginning in adam's day there'd start being temperature you know extremes in temperature Look what it is like today now, after the flood, post-flood, you know. Uh, we've got severe weather phenomena. That's all part of this curse. Death was the next thing. Think about this. Now, parasites, harmful bacteria, gene mutations, not evolutionary mutations, but harmful mutations. Um, by the way, just this week, and I don't know if you caught it in the news and um, a woman recently died in the U.S. of a superbug that's resistant to any kind of antibiotics here in the U.S. And, and they're like, it's not a new phenomena. It's been happening. And you people, you medical people, you probably know better than I do. It's been happening, uh, but mainly overseas and, uh, you know, somewhere else. It's not close to home, but now it's on U.S. soil, and it's starting to happen now. And uh, I just think it's prophetic, and it's gonna be, there's going to be more and more as we, as we go on. Um, Chuck Missler, uh, looking at end times prophecies, in Revelation 6, verse 8, John says this. He says, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given over them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. It's talking about during the tribulation period. The beasts of the earth, and, and this is what Chuck Missler says. It, it, we think a beast of the earth is like this big animal. It's going to it's be going wild and taking. There, there's a movie out, right, of these animals that have gone. They've, I've, oh, I, and never mind. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I, I don't even know the name of it. But it seemed like there was a movie or a book out about some animals and all of a sudden they're turning on people and stuff. Um, but, you know, that's in your mind. The beasts of the earth, you know, some big animal. But, but Chuck Missler's argument is beasts of the earth could be microscopic, you know. They could be parasites or stuff or these bugs. And, and, and that's what he says. It's, it's probably these super bugs. And, of course, we're seeing that happen now. But that's all part of the fall. All these things, like I said, the medical field wouldn't even be the medical field because you wouldn't be healing anybody or, or, you know, people wouldn't be getting hurt or sick or anything, but it's all part of the curse. And I want to just say this too, can we, and hopefully, I don't know where you guys are at in your own beliefs, but can we put the final nail in the evolutionary coffin this morning? Think about it. You know, some people believe in theistic evolution, that God initially created the world, the universe, and, but then he used evolutionary processes to complete, you know, what we, what we know as, as, as nature, the world around us. You know, the fossil record supposedly is so much older than the appearance of man. 
you think of evolution, it's right, the survival of the fittest, right? Well, if there's the fittest that survive, that means that the unfittest don't survive. They die, right? Well, listen, there was no death prior to chapter 3 in Genesis. There's no, there was no way for, for things to die, and, and, and then it all happened here as a result of the fall. Species didn't live and then die until finally man evolved. Man was created first, and man is responsible for death on this planet. Plain and simple. Verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, remember, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. I grew up uh, in, a, in California, and uh, behind this house, we used to live in Campbell, California, when we first moved out from, from uh, where I was born in Canada, moved to California. We, we settled in Campbell, California. I know Valerie probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. But back in the day, before Silicon Valley, it was all orchards and fields. In fact, San Jose, I think, was a prune capital of the world, you know, so whoo-hoo. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I remember the house that we lived in, there was a cornfield right behind our house, and in the middle of the cornfield was a grove of fig trees. And as kids, we used to always go playing in the grove of fig trees, climbing in the trees and stuff. And, uh, you know, fig leaves, they make bad clothing. <laughs> They're prickly, and uh, also when you break the leaves, you get this like a milky kind of a sappy kind of a. They're sticky, and so it, it just it, it's poor clothing. You know, man tries to cover his sin and his shame through religion, and it's, it's just it's it's a poor covering. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteous deeds are just like filthy rags in God's sight, and so God says that's not going to cut it, and so God made tunics or he provided tunics made of skin to clothe adam and eve and you know what's fascinating about that that means an animal had to die where would god get the skins from an animal had to die and i'm scripture doesn't tell us but i'm willing to bet it was a lamb i'm willing to bet it was a lamb that died and god took the lamb's wool and made made tunics for adam and eve this was the first animal sacrifice to cover men's sin and it was prior to the Levitical law. In fact, when we get into chapter 4, talking about the story of Cain and Abel, it's going to figure prominently into Cain and Abel's story. Already here, God is showing Adam and Eve that the wages of sin is death. There's a, there's a need for a substitutionary death of an innocent lamb for their sin. See, even, even now, God is already preparing them for the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He's already pointing to the death of Christ on the cross for our sin. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Fascinating in verse 22. It's another allusion, not illusion, allusion to the triune nature of God, the Trinity. Now this 
you know, as a kid, I remember reading this. It's like, man, God's really harsh with them. It's like, you know, longer is he, no longer, no, not only has he cursed them, but now he's like, you're banished from the, from the Garden of Eden. And I'm going to put an f- angel over the flaming sword to keep you from going to the, to the, tree, the tree of life. And it seems maybe like God is being vindictive or being overly harsh. But in reality, this passage here, God is being merciful. It's his mercy right here. Why? Because he's preventing Adam and Eve from eating of the fruit of the tree of life in his fallen state. Think of that. If he had ate of the tree of life in his fallen state, he would always be in his fallen state. Always. You know, if you've known people that are that are just, you know, they they're they don't follow the lord and stuff and they're you know as people get older sometimes they get really really bitter and really really you know they're just uh, not fun to be around can you imagine hundreds of years and thousands of years how how bitter and how ingrained in sin and how bad a person would get if they were allowed to continue in that path and so really this is god's mercy preventing them from eating of the tree of life in a fallen state not until after Jesus would die on the cross for our sins and be resurrected from the dead and give you and I, those of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, new life. You know, the tree disappeared. The tree of life disappears from the scene, but it reappears at the end of the book in Revelation in New Jerusalem once again. Because it's, it's for you and I, it'll be there for us to eat and enjoy. But God was doing this. It was his mercy and so we see some beautiful pictures, even as we start getting into Genesis here in chapter 3. God is preparing his people. He's showing them that sin, there's a price for sin, and, and blood has to be shed. And so he's already preparing them, pointing them to the cross. And so this morning, I just, uh, for a couple things, I just want to, first of all, for you here that are believers in Jesus Christ, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. Study the scripture. Go home, reread it, dwell on it, meditate on it, chew on it. Maybe if you're married, talk with your spouse about it. Understand Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of them so that when the temptations come, you're able to withstand. And the next thing, of course, is if you're looking around and you know sometimes we can get really discouraged like i said you know people you know it's like why do bad things happen to good people well in reality there are no good people you know in in god's eyes there really are no good people we're all sinners but the reality is we live in a fallen world and and if you're dealing with unbelievers and we've had to learn this in in our marriage not Teresa and i but dealing with extended family that aren't believers they they they're sinners and they sin and so you know we understand that you know we don't like it but we understand that they're fallen they need a savior and so it, sometimes it just kind of puts a perspective we live in a fallen world there there are ideals you know love everything to be perfect around but but the reality is it's not until Jesus Christ returns and he'll set everything straight and then, of course, the last thing is, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, understand that there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. You can't cover over your sin. You can't. It's, it's a poor covering. You need a Savior. And that's what Jesus came on the cross. He died on the cross for your and my sins. He paid the penalty. He was the Lamb of God that was shed for us. And now we're clothed in his righteousness. 
Praise God for that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe even listening to this message online, we do have people that listen online. I just want to encourage you that Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And he, all he wants is for you to confess of your sins, re- repent, which means to turn away from him and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. And invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Why don't you stand up? Let's go to Lord in prayer. If you're here this morning and you want prayer for something, I'd love to pray with you this morning. And so I'll just, I'll just leave that with you guys. And, and, uh, but let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this uh, account, Lord, so we can, we can look at the world around us. And, Lord, we understand why things are the way they are. Lord, I thank you that even then, Lord, you were reaching out to Adam and Eve, just as you reached out to each one of us. And that, Lord God, you desire fellowship, Lord. And, and, Lord, you made a way for us to be back into fellowship with you. And so we thank you so much for doing that for each one of us, Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people this day. Lord, I pray that as they go through their week, Lord, that they might just uh, have a, just a refreshed uh, understanding and, and just a, a renewed fellowship with you, Lord God, and that you might reveal yourself to them in even greater ways. Lord, may you give them divine appointments and uh, opportunities to share your love with those around us. And we thank you and, and we bless you. And, and Lord, I also want to lift up our loved ones, Lord, those that we know that we love, we care about, Lord, and, and they're not believers. They don't have a relationship with you. Lord, I, we pray for them. Lord, if it's a mother or father, a brother or sister, a child, whatever it is, a cousin, Lord, we just pray for our loved ones that they might come to a saving knowledge of you and they may enter into a relationship with you, Lord. And so we don't want to cease from praying and lifting them up to you. We thank you, Lord God, that it's your Holy Spirit that draws men and women to you. And we pray that you would do that in the case of our loved ones. We thank you and we love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.